Great. Well, good afternoon, everybody. It's great that you've joined us today. My name is Nigel Rawlinson. I'm the university chaplain in Bath, but also uh, helping lead the Bath University interfaith community. Uh, this week is World Interfaith Harmony Week, and uh, a great week to celebrate in this podcast. Mother Sarah, in a, um, a blog last week on our uh, website, talked about uh, the untapped resources for developing peace and harmony that our different faith traditions bring. King Abdullah of Jordan in 2010 talked about shared values. And of course, for all of us in our different contexts, the last year and uh, the events in, uh, in Ukraine uh, have brought the need for peace and harmony into even sharper focus alongside other conflicts around the world. Well, today, I am joined by the local faith leaders supporting the Bath University interfaith community to talk about this. And first of all, I'm going to uh, uh, invite them just to introduce themselves on this uh, uh, podcast. So perhaps starting with you, Iris, would you just say uh, yeah, who you are and your faith tradition, please? So my name is Iris. Hello to everyone. And I guess I represent the Jewish community. As far yeah. as there is a Jewish community out thank you. here. No, thank you very much indeed. And the students appreciate that link too. Uh, Jason. Yes. Hello, everyone. I'm Jason Hart. Uh, I work at the university and I am involved um, with supporting uh, people practicing the Buddhism of Nitrin Daishonin uh, across Somerset and West Wiltshire. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, and then Mohammed, please. Hello, everyone. My name is Mohammed. I am the Imam of Bath Islamic Society, and I'm also uh, a research fellow of the University of Bristol. Thank you very much, Nita. And also with links uh, to the uh, Islamic Society University. So thank you very much. Indeed. And then uh, uh, my mother, Sarah. Uh, yes, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Mother Sarah. I'm uh, a member of the Orthodox Christian tradition. I uh, belong to the Orthodox parish in Bath and I'm a um, pastoral assistant in that community. And I have been involved in the university chaplaincy for many years. Great, thank you. It's so nice to welcome you. And again, thank you again for your support for our new interfaith community here, the students in those groups. So in different ways, we, all represent uh, from our uh, faith values uh, where we are placed in life, where, wherever we are. And of course, by some would say it's where God has placed us uh, and with the people around us. And uh, it's interesting, isn't it, to start first of all by you know, asking each of you from where you are, where you find yourself living and working, how you see the challenges now, this day, to uh, faith and practice. Uh, perhaps again, Iris, could I ask with you and your thoughts on that, please? So I think, well, on the one hand, depending what stage in life in our own life we are, we might see things from a different perspective. Uh, also, depending on what is happening around us, that can affect us. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where this discussion will lead, and maybe once I hear what the other people on the panel are saying that will bring out more things. But if the idea is whether people are 
following or not following as much any particular faith, if that is the focus, then, well, according to the last census, it appears that there are less people who are following or feeling that they belong to any faith. Uh, I'm not sure that that is necessarily wrong. I think what matters are the moral values and those are shared and different people reach them from different angles. But I, I do feel that if less and less people will follow any of the religions, we would lose something from the traditions that are very nice and from the stories that lead us to those moral values and behaviors that we can all engage with. So I'll start with that and let other people. Thank you, thank you so much. And of course, you know, just to sort of uh, comment on that only that students are all looking for hope. And so whether they would use the word hope rather than faith, uh, but we suddenly we may come back to certainly I was with Mohammed in the mosque and you know, discussion recently talking about the real fundamental importance of individual faith traditions talking together rather than having a sort of generalized faith. Thank you, Iris, very much for that. Uh, Jason, how would how would you see this question of challenges from your uh, context? Well, perhaps one of the things I should say about Nichiren Daishonin's Buddhism or the Buddhism of Nichiren Daishonin that I practice is that it's from the Mahayana tradition. And that, without going into a long account and, and description of differences within different traditions within Buddhism, um, Mahayana Buddhism is basically concerned with engagement in society, with with actually building a better peaceful world, a world in which uh, there is respect for the dignity of life. Um, so it's very much you know, people's you know, kind of popular view of Buddhism is kind of of the, the kind of the, the mendicant who goes to the mountain, you live in a cave and, and, and kind of distances themselves from everyday life. Whereas in the tradition of uh, Nichiren Daishonin's Buddhism, it's very much about engagement. So with that comes the question about how does one engage and what we understand through through this tradition of buddhism is that fundamentally the challenges that we see in society and my goodness we we see a lot of enormous challenges yes. around the world today but those challenges begin with the challenge within our own lives so the darkness the negativity the violence even that we see around the world we have to start to tackle that by tackling those tendencies within our own lives so therefore my faith my practice is absolutely the foundation to be able to contribute to transformation in society you know in a very immediate sense just in my neighborhood or with the people that i work with but also beyond that um, across society more widely so this I, given given the difficulties one could say in society one could say that could take that as encouragement to go much further in terms of my own faith and practice, that if I want to achieve a change or transformation in what I see around me, then I have to redouble my efforts in terms of my own faith and practice to, to, to transform myself and to contribute from that position, that otherwise, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to change something outside ourselves and it's disconnected from our own yes. lives. Um, and so, how, inter how interesting, isn't it, to 
you know, reflect back that we all meet people when we say, my word, that person is so peaceful. Mm. When we meet people who have done that, it, it that it's almost infectious, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yes. Although I'm not sure people would say I'm very peaceful. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, we're all trying. Lifelong learning. Jason, thank but, you. But, very I, much. but I think, just sorry, just one last yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, we move on. But, but you know, one, one of the things that I found very liberating when I began to practice this form of Buddhism some 35 years ago was that I didn't have to suppress or remove aspects of myself that previously I'd thought of as undesirable. What yeah. I had to do was find the way to use them in a positive way. Yeah. And for me, most particularly, that meant using anger, the anger that, I, that, that, from, that could issue from my life in a destructive way. I could actually use my practice to embrace that anger and you find a creative way to use it because there is a lot of force, a lot of power behind anger. And in fact, one could say there are many situations in which we should be angry. We shouldn't accept. Yes. <clears throat> how do we use, for me, the question is, how do I use my faith and my practice to transform a tendency that could otherwise be destructive into something that actually can contribute in a constructive way? Yes, no, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Mohammed. we'd love to hear now how you feel. And just to explain, again, I mentioned earlier, I was with uh, Muhammad and other members of Christian and Islamic community, hearing Muhammad uh, describe his uh, PhD research into uh, in, into truth uh, between different faith traditions, and so it's lovely to have you, Muhammad. Thank you for joining us. And perhaps could I hand over to you now to see where you feel the the challenges are to faith and practice? Yeah, sure. Thanks a lot, Nigel. Uh, I really relate uh, and I see eye to eye with uh, with what Iris and Jason have to say. They have really raised some very intriguing points. And if I may add to this, it would be the key, the key challenge would be uh, religious literacy. Um, um, speaking from my own context here in the city of Bath, uh, one would expect that religious literacy would be that Muslims get to know more about the, um, the Christian, the Jewish, and the Buddhist, and other uh, faith traditions. But in, re in reality, um, um, given that the Ba'ath Islamic society is so diverse, um, I, I can really name people coming from every single part of the Muslim world. And it's, it's fascinating how, um, uh, with the passage of time, the learning process and the challenges as well involved when they when they get to know the different schools from from uh, from which every one of them uh, comes from, and 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 um, why this is this is pose this poses a challenge in terms of learning and getting to know that the, the, the diversity of the Islamic tradition uh, it is uh, it is also uh, raises many opportunities in terms of in terms of learning so I've been really fascinated in the last couple of years by this by this by this reality uh, one getting to know uh, the diversity of um, his or her own faith tradition not only um, you know, uh, the, at the interface level, but also at the intra uh, faith level, uh, I see this as a challenge, but also as uh, something that that have a lot of uh, has a lot of potentialities for future future work and that. Yeah, thank you. It's very interesting because one of the drivers uh, to the formation of the interfaith community in Bath 
uh, is this really interesting concept of, of, of religious literacy. Uh, the university realizing that since it's, it's building of 50 years ago, the demographic of our students have changed so hugely and the graduates will graduate and go to different parts of the world where their religious literacy will contribute to the contribution they'll make in whatever position they have, wherever they are in the world. So thank you for bringing in that, in that phrase too. Um, Mother Sarah, thank you for patiently waiting. Oh, that's all right. It gives me time to think. That's quite all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I agree with, with all everybody else has said. And I, I think I'm coming at it from a similar point of view in that I think there is um, a kind of paradox in the challenges. That, um, one challenge I see is that because people have such huge opportunities for information these days, and in a sense they have sort of information overload, they may uh, weaken their sense of attachment to their traditional faith practice because they can see so clearly that there's so much choice out there. And why should I, you know, why should I do what my parents do? Because there's plenty of other things to do. Um, but on the other hand, that's also an opportunity and it, it gives people um, resources to search and to try and find out more. Uh, and people's spiritual faculties haven't disappeared. I mean, human beings are still human beings and people who have a, a kind of yearning towards some kind of spiritual practice are going to go and look. Um, and I think that's, that's, something that we're seeing you know yes. we're seeing people look and that's that's to be very much welcomed and do, um, do you see that i mean the university of bath is traditionally a science-based university mm -hmm. uh, and we're just open up to all of you i mean do you see uh, that that sort of spiritual seeking present in scientist students Hamid, you, you you nodded first there i saw that <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, um, uh, I, I'd say absolutely, yes. Uh, many, I mean, on a weekly basis, we meet in, in, in the mosque uh, with um, a really bright group of students, all of them study STEM subjects. And yeah. the, the hunger they have for religious learning is unbelievable. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I, that's, that, that's a reality, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Jason, yeah. Well, goodness, I didn't, I'm not sure I know that many science students. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I just saw you nodding that way. So. <laughs> I know, I was very interested to hear Mohammed's experience. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I would anticipate something similar within our Faculty of Humanities and Social science, Sciences. I mean, I think young people are questioning, are reflecting, are struggling with the values of society, struggling in some cases to understand what the values of society are these days. And, I went, yeah, yeah, I went. I went to a debate in the university um, two years ago on, on faith, and it was very because somebody brought in a scientist of, uh, I would say, my generation, certainly older than students, <laughs> who was arguing that science would explain everything. He used that old chestnut. Eventually, science would explain everything. What was interesting was that in the room there was a there was a corporate sense from these science students that actually that no longer applies. You know, it, it is no, it is no longer. Uh, accepted that science would explain everything, i.e. that there is another dimension or way of thinking which even scientists recognise. That's very important. Um, 
it's interesting to bring us into the second question, really. I mean, we recently had an interfaith dinner. I've been told, actually, um, by one of our colleagues in the Islamic Society that the way to bring students is to provide food. And so we provided food and uh, we cooked a meal in Dartmouth Avenue. We had a dinner uh, where we had represented from the Islamic Society, some Muslim students, Sikhs, Arabs, Christians, and, and Jews on that occasion were all together. And what was very gratifying was that they loved the food. But we, I, we, had, we had five or six tables and Karen, my colleague, and I were walking around uh, just listening. And it was fantastic to hear students talking to others saying, I never realised you thought that. Is that how you see things? I see things this way. It was a most exciting evening and kind of, you know, um, uh, uh, reflects on what we're all talking about tonight. And so really, I was wondering whether you just moved on on this basis. Thank you so much. You know, and focusing on the um, world um, interfaith harmony week's values of loving of good and loving of neighbour. Those are the two sort of principal things. Uh, just really whether you could give examples that would um, uh, 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 show that good practice, again, in the, the uh, area where you are living and working. So, Iris, could we come back to start again with you, please? <laughs> so, first of all, just yesterday there was an event. It is actually an annual event called the Mayor of Bath Multi-Faith Gathering. And it always takes place on the first Sunday of February at the Guildhall in Bath. And Muhammad was there as well. And there were representatives from different faith groups. And each faith group had like a five-minute slot to give their opinion on the theme of the mayor of Bath. And this year's theme was about, uh, he called it Roots and Canopy. And first of all, this metaphor of trees suited me very well because actually today is a Jewish festival called Tu Bishvat, which is about planting trees. And then you can reflect of everything that trees give us. And actually there is a, a little paragraph, I'm not going to read it because I'm not sure how much time we have, but it talks about the dependency in the trees of the leaves on the branches and the branches on the trunk of the tree and the trunk of the tree on the roots and none could have survived without the other. So yes. likewise, we are all a wider community in which yes. there are people from different faiths and from different backgrounds and we can work very well together. And that came, that became very visible from those presentations that we all gave yesterday at, at this event, because we all strive actually to help each other and to be respectful. So this expression of love your neighbor resonates in the different traditions and faith communities. Thank so it's, it, it works not only within each individual community, but also among the communities. And like the examples, the example that you gave Nigel about these uh, young people who were talking to each other and saying, oh, I never realized that you think this way. We just need to, I guess, promote and provide these opportunities for people to get together, to talk to each other so that they can discover more of that. Yeah, that's so 
lovely to hear. And there's, would you say, there's there's almost a recognition that, that we are interdependent on each other. Yes. It, it, yes. it's the nature tells us that, doesn't it? No, thank you, Iris. What a great event that must have been. Jason. I was actually uh, thinking about some experience that somebody shared with me quite early in, in my own practice of, of Nichiren, Nichiren Buddhism. Uh, and it was literally about neighbors. So um, a, a friend of mine who lived in a terraced house next door, um, the neighbors often, um, there was broken glass and food and so on that was kind of on the path that kind of strayed into the path outside her front door. And this went on for quite a long period of time. And she was really struggling with to figure out the best way to address this, you know, because obviously it was frustrating and annoying and, you know, and so on, unpleasant. But she she came to understand that she the only way that she would be able to reach through to the people living next door and achieve positive changes when she cared about it, the situation, not from her point of view, not from the point of view that she was annoyed and irritated, but from the point of view that these people were doing, you know, behaving in a way which wasn't good for themselves, that she had to care more about them than about mm -hmm. how, how much their behavior frustrated her. And when she was really able to get to that point where she was able to embrace them fully and really with a strong desire for their happiness, then she was able to be heard by them and the situation changed. And I think that speaks to, <laughs> goes back to what I was saying before about we can see the struggles and the challenges out there, but actually we have to start with ourselves if we want to transform those. We have to yes. develop courage, we have to develop compassion and wisdom in order to be able to achieve transformation. Otherwise, we're, the, the risk is we're kind of, in a way, lecturing to people, uh, yes. preaching to people without actually taking responsibility for our own transformation. I suppose in so doing that, would you say that you're intentionally putting yourself or as it were in their shoes trying to see the situation from the other person's point of view is that what you mean it could be it could well be yes it could be but but just just i mean so when we when we chant when we do our, our daily practice morning and evening the the purpose of it is to bring out what we refer to as the qualities of the buddha which are courage compassion wisdom and life force so, and perhaps most important of which is, is compassion, but we need the courage to sometimes yes. to take compassionate action and yes. wisdom to do it in the way that, that is most beneficial. So yes. it's about bringing out about that compassion as, as the kind of fundamental quality that we bring into our interactions with others. Yes, yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mohammed. Um... Okay, I mean, in the light of uh, the earthquake that hit uh, Turkey and Syria today, um, one inspiring example that I've, I've, I've had was uh, I've really received several um, calls from members of the Muslim community in Bath uh, asking if we can, if there are any ways, practical ways through which we can support uh, the people inflicted in, in Turkey and in Syria. 
Um, and that really caused me to think uh, of the, the really idea of neighborhood and um, that sort that sort of um, the wide definition of uh, of neighborhood, if, if that makes makes sense in relation to the idea of the love of God, the love of good, and the love of of the neighbor. Uh, so that that was to me that, that caused me really to think about that. Yeah. Thank you very much. And uh, um, yeah, Sarah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Would it be possible to sh for me to share my screen, Nigel? Yes. Hang on a second. I'm just going to press the button. Here we go. Yeah. Yes, do. So you, can you see Cambridge Interfaith Programme? Not yet. Can you see it now? No, no. not yet again. Okay. Um, let me see. Maybe I have to do something to say, ask if I can, if I can share the screen. Well, maybe I'll just tell you about it. Yes, please do. Um, no, please do. <laughs> so there's um, a department within the theology department in Cambridge um, called the Cambridge Interfaith Programme. And people have been working at interfaith relationships in that um, on an academic footing for many, many years. And this week, as part of World Interfaith Harmony Week, um, they've launched a whole lot of um, activities and one of them is a programme whereby people are sitting down and looking at um, the problem of violence in religious texts. And I was really blown away when I saw that because I thought you could only do that if there's a huge amount of trust between the people involved. Um, that people really, really know each other and they're willing to expose things that are difficult within their own faith traditions. Yes. Um, so I'd just like to offer that as a, as a sign of hope. Um, wow. Wow. Um, it shows that, that, you know, really solid interfaith work has been going on for a long time. Yes. And it's, it's bearing visible fruit. Yes. No, thank you. You may just have... You may just have um, define the subject of our next podcast, Sarah. <laughs> Mohammed, I saw you raise your hand there. Yeah, I would really appreciate it if Mother Sarah can share with us the link to that program. Um, I'm pretty familiar with uh, the, the Cambridge Interfaith program, but, but that particular thing, uh, I'm, I'm not really familiar with that. Okay, but one other thing, I would really... Uh, sorry, Mother Sarah. I would I also... I would also. I was also wondering if, if Iris can share the paragraph that she showed us yesterday in the multi-faith gathering that that was spot on, and I really think it will it will relate much uh, to the to our subject today. I don't know, um, Nigel, if you would be open to maybe to share it with the video or something. But it was it was really really nice. I I would like to suggest we do two things because I love seeing your faces. Uh, Mother Sarah, could you read out the website text? And we'll post it. All, uh, I'll post it to all of you. But for our podcast today, just so we keep keep all on screen, can you just re read out the the website address, Sarah? Oh, um, right. Read out the, in, well. It's www.interfaith.cam.ac/news/world hyphen interfaith hyphen harmony hyphen week hyphen two oh uh, two three but i put it in the chat nigel right i've got that too yes that's great okay. no thank you that's very good and then 
Um, Iris. Yes, uh, I, I apologize no, for how worry. the. I tell you what, Iris, I... go, go out and come back in again. When you come back in, do you please bring that paragraph and read it out to us? We'd love that. Okay. I, I agree with you, Mohammed. It would be a good contribution. Um, and so, yes, I mean, all these are, uh, are great examples. I'd love to, after we hear Iris' paragraph, I'd like just to conclude this really interesting time, going back to something that you said, Jason, about how we use um, our passions positively. But we'll just let Iris come in and do that. Then I'll just maybe just open that up as our last area. Great, Iris, are you there? I am there. I apologize for no, what's no, happening no. with the computer. While the, connection's, while the connection's good, can you read out your paragraph, please? Yes. You have it at hand. <laughs> it says, we ask the leaf, are you completing yourself? And the leaf answers, no, my life is in the branches. We ask the branch and the branch answers, no, my life is in the root. We ask the root and, and it answers, no, my life is in the trunk and the branches and the leaves. Keep the branches stripped of leaves and I shall die. So it is with the great tree of being. Nothing is completely and merely individual. Thank you. A wonderful thought. And Mohammed, quite right. That was really, really deep. Um, as we come to the end of this time, I'd just love to go around again, just to uh, build on something, Jason, that you said in, in your first, the first session today, really about how we channel uh, passions positively. One of the things I often say when I have students who come and see me uh, from any faith tradition and uh, students are very unforgiving of themselves. And they say, I ought to, I should do, I should have done, I ought to, and all that. I very often say, very often say, hang on, let's stop using the words ought to and should have done. Let us, let us, you know, you, let us be gentle with ourselves. Be gentle with ourselves. And that tends to bring out a new way of looking at a passion. Jason, would that be along the lines that you were talking about your own, uh, uh, channeling your own emotions in a positive way? Is that what you meant by that? And then I'll bring others in. Um... You're talking well, about your, your anger. Yes. I mean, yeah. certainly there's no guilt in Buddhism, um, by which I mean, of course, guilt may be an emotion that, that people feel, but Buddhism teaches us nothing valuable to come out of feeling guilty. You know, if one's done something that one regrets, then learn from it and move, but don't continue to hold a, an emotion of guilt, which doesn't actually serve any purpose. Yes. Um, so it's about being willing to acknowledge where we don't move in a way that, or act in a way that we would hope to and learn from that and move on and, and develop and grow yeah. um, without the regret, without the guilt, without the remorse or the you know, self-deprecation and so on. Um, yes. and, and, but beyond that, to, to embrace ourselves wholly as we are and not always thinking you know about what we lack what we you know what we still have yet to develop but to see that as something yes, positive to move you. towards 
And as you were saying, fashion used in the right way is a good thing, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> how about <laughs> yes? How about other Muhammad? You nodded there. I mean, do you, how, how do you see it from the Islamic society? Oh, he's gone. Uh, he's gone. <laughs> I hope that wasn't my question. I'm sure he's coming back. I, 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 it's very interesting to um, give an example, which he knows about actually, because Ahmed Adipi, who is a, an Islamic student, a very good friend of mine, with whom I've worked in the Muslim prayer room in the university, he came to me once after, it was last year or two years ago, after one of the conflicts, um, in Israel, and he said, Nigel, how could we get together with our Jewish student colleagues to talk about this together? And it was a beautiful um, reflection of his desire to say, let's try and, um, you know, we must be able to talk together. We must be able to cross the bridge and understand each other as a, because we can't go on with this intolerance. We, we have to find a way through. And I found that perhaps as another example of channeling a passion to do something different, to try and achieve things. Um, Iris, uh, what, say, what, do you, yeah, go on. What, what you've just said goes along the lines of also not presuming what the others are thinking, yeah. because sometimes it might be that the governments or the leaderships of different countries or communities have their own interests and they clash. But when you talk to the people, to the majority of the people, it doesn't necessarily follow that the people agree with what the leaders or the governments are doing. Yeah. yeah. So by bringing together the students to talk to each other, they might find that actually they think in a very similar way to each other in terms of wanting to be able to live together yes. Yes. in peace. Yes, yes. How to get to that peace, that's the challenge. And maybe they can work on it together. Yeah. Uh, it's always difficult when you are outside of the conflict to see all the different points. It, that it it's very interesting you've said that and context comes in we had we tried Ahmed and I had tried to set up a meeting and we had a really willing group of students uh, the university security were becoming aware that there were outside forces who could how they heard of the meeting could have come and disrupted it yeah and so we were advised by the university yes you can meet but it can't be official and it can't be publicized for that reason yeah. so and the student, the st again, the students understood that. They still had the meeting. It was interesting. They yeah. still had the meeting. But again, context comes into that. Yeah. Um, Sarah, any, any thoughts on this? Uh, well, I'm sorry. My concentration seems to have wandered. Could you remind me what the question is? We, 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 were, just, we were just talking about how, um, building on Jason's comment about how you, we use our passions positively. And to think to think differently, and again, how I suppose our own faith journey um, informs the way we think. Well, I'm all in favour of using passions to to as a force for good. You know, I, I don't know what else to say really. I think um, 
I suppose it comes down to sort of giving people access to good teaching so that they can, as you say, stop beating themselves up and being negative, but, yes. but to realise that that isn't necessarily what their tradition is expecting them to do. Yes. Uh, that there's actually a far more productive and more healthy way for everybody. For them yes. to. So yes. in that sense that, you know, there's such a huge value in being able to, to make genuine religious tradition available to, yes. to people. Yes. So that they can tap into their resources. Well, I think that we've all shared thoughts. I, we, we need to come to a conclusion in a minute. I'm going to ask each of you to uh, just say a sort of final concluding comment on this podcast. Uh, I have just sent an email to uh, our friend Mohammed as well. I hope he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what's happened to his end, but he may be coming back to join us. But um, yes, perhaps just, just would love just to have a sort of final concluding comment from each of you as we begin to wrap up this this day. Uh, Iris, could we start with you again? Okay. So actually following on what Jason said about being more gentle with ourselves and finding a way of uh, channeling the anger. So the word shalom means peace, but the word shalom comes from the root of being whole. So we have to be whole within ourselves so that we can be whole in our interaction with others and bring more peace and calm to those interactions. Okay. Thank you very much. That sounds great. <laughs> and Jason? Um, for some reason, and I can't remember why, but something somebody said triggered the thought in me about the importance of mentorship. Um, I think it was Mother Sarah talking about really enabling people to to get to, to really connect with the with the the truth of the of the tradition the you know the deeper the deeper truth the deeper understanding and I think within our within Nichiren Buddhism the mentor mentee or mentor disciple relationship the teacher the student relationship is absolutely fundamental to enable that person to learn deeply from somebody who you know has a profound understanding. In a relationship of equality, it's not it's not a hierarchical relationship. In a relationship of uh, of equality and mutual respect, but to to really be able to connect um, with the, the deepest truth of the teachings through the, the assistance of somebody who's you know, more more experienced in faith. Yes, yes, and there's something, isn't there, about enabling rather at dinner party, enabling people to actually really get under get behind the other person, to see how, why they think the way they think. And find the common ground within that. Mm. Thank you, mm. Sarah. Well, I think my only comment is, you know, let's keep talking to each other because I think there's tremendous value in it and a great deal to be learned and and gained from it. Yes, That's yes, yeah. Good. Well, um, I will contact uh, Mohammed. Uh, he hasn't replied yet, but I will be in touch with him. He, there's, I've got an email here um, where he says, "My apologies." My connection got disconnected. I guess you're done by now. I very much enjoyed the session. Many thanks, Nigel. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> well, on that note, that's that's a lovely email. Thank you so much. Good. I'm, I'm relieved too. I'm all... <laughs> but look, um, as usual, thank you all very, very much indeed for, for contributing this afternoon. And I look forward to seeing you all again soon. Thanks so much. Thank indeed. you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.